Um, turn to the Lord in prayer again. Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that we are able to gather here, that we are able to come now under your word, Lord. I pray not that I would speak, but that you would speak. I pray that hearts would be open and sensitive to your word. Oh, Father, now is the time, Lord. We break up the fallow ground of our hearts and we pray that you would come and sow your word in deep and that the rain would come and that it would grow and mature and that we would be fruitful for your name and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be looking at a verse from Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 32. And it reads as following. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, if there's any time that we need to hear a verse like that is, is today. The church, the, the believers, of, 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 believers in Christ need to hear, hear that. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Well, why? Because when we look out in our day and age, what do we see? All seems to be against us. Everything, everything seems to be against the Christian, against the church, against the Christian stance and view and, and, and what we believe to be in the word of God, what God has revealed to us. And all seems to be, you know, the net of, of secular, the, the, the net of, 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 just the things that are against us are just closing in and, and, and it's taking away our voice. You know, they're seeking to take away the stance. See, the, like one preacher said, the, the outrage will not to be that, to say that Jesus is a Lord, but to say that Jesus is the Lord. You know, that will be the trouble. The outrage will be to say that the only way is Jesus Christ, that there is no other way, that he alone possesses salvation, that he alone is a mediator between God and man. That will be the problem. And that's being made more clear and more clear and more clear. And as we look around, we see the systems of the world, the, the, everything that mankind has been leaning on, being shaken. You know, the very foundations, everything's being shaken around us. And so there's fear. There's fear outside. There's fear, there's fear literally everywhere. I, you just pick up a newspaper and it's just fear, fear, fear. Control the people by fear. And yet that seems to, to come upon us as Christians. Should we come under that same cloud of fear that exists in the world? No, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. We should heed this verse that tells us to fear not, little flock, because Christ, the Father, has given us a kingdom. Now, if you look at the context of the disciples who Jesus is saying this to, the context of uh, chapter 12 and chapter 11, Jesus is telling them that being a disciple of Christ is not going to be easy in this world. That you're not just going to become a Christian and just fly through onto heaven, floating through nicely. That that's not what's going to happen. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be challenges. Christ came not to bring peace but a sword. Family will be, families will be divided. There'll be temptations to deny Christ. There will be all these different things conflicting to strangle out your faith. And the disciples 
need this word of encouragement. They need this consolation that, that we, we ought not to fear, that we ought to fight fear with this truth, that God has given us a kingdom, that the Father has given us a kingdom. And so there is a tendency for us to fear. And there is much fear within, within the body. And we're taking that on from the world. There is a tendency for us to just hand up our flags of surrender and pass through this world quietly and cause no disturbance, just to glide through into heaven. But we are the pillar of truth on the earth. If we do not speak, if we do not raise up our voice and declare that fear has been defeated, that perfect love casts out fear, then who will? We as the pillar of truth, the church of Jesus Christ, have the answer the world is looking for, whether they would acknowledge it or not. Christ has the answer. God has the answer. And he's entrusted that to us. So out of everyone on earth, only the Christian can stand up in a time like this with their head high, their shoulders straight, in defiance and say, we will not bow to fear. We will not be controlled by fear. We are the only ones who can pass through this world with a joy unspeakable, full of glory. Why? Because we have seen the kin. We have seen the kin with the spiritual eyes of our heart. We have seen the kin in his glory revealed in the Gospels to us. So let us look at this, this verse, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And he begins by saying, little flock. He calls the disciples little flock. Now, what does this imply? This implies weakness and vulnerability. You know, to make someone feel strong, you walk up to them and say, oh, little sheep, little flock. It's not exactly on the surface. It's not exactly building them up. It's not exactly casting out the fear. It's not exactly an encouragement. But when you look at it, it is. When you look at it, it is. What's he saying? He's saying little flock. Now, I remember when I went to Wells and I was driving through in my car and we were going through the countryside and literally every hill had sheep on it. Every, every hill, even in the road, there were sheep. Everywhere just had sheep. And why? Because there was no natural predators. In Wells, the wolves are gone. There's, there's, nothing else to, there's nothing endangering the sheep. The sheep are safe, they're fine. So they can multiply. But it wasn't like this then in the Middle East. To be... The sheep that time when Jesus was saying this in the Middle East was a dangerous thing. There was wolves, coyotes, lions. It was serious. So what's Christ saying here when he calls his disciples a little flock? Not only is he saying that, yes, believers are small in number, which is true. But he also, he's also reminding us of our frailty, of that, the fact that there's dangers. There's wolves who, des who desire to devour our faith. There's lions who desire to devour our faith. And here Jesus would remind us of what we are apart from him, what we are in ourselves, that we are weak, that we cannot live apart from him, that he is divine and we are the branches, that left to ourselves, we would have no chance. You know, if, if there was a, a, a little flock out in the Middle East, in these times when Jesus spoke these words, that it wouldn't stand a chance. Within a few weeks, the lions and the wolves would have devoured the flock. So in all of this, it's not pointing to our strength, it's pointing to the strength of the shepherd. Here it highlights, here it highlights the strength of the shepherd. 
And there's two things that I, I want us to look at in this, just passing through quickly. And that is the shepherd's leading and the shepherd's protect, protection, protecting. Essentially, that's what a shepherd does. He brings out the sheep, he calls them out, calls them by name, brings them out, and he leads them to where they need to go. The sheep don't know their destination. They don't know how to get to the pastures or get to the next destination, but the shepherd does. And so he leads them out and he leads them in the way that they should go. He comes, he leads them from behind so his eyes are on the sheep and he can direct them in the way that they need to go. He knows the valleys that they need to go through. He knows the hills, the mountains, everything that he needs, that everything, the way that they, the sheep need to go, he's the one leading them. He can take them there. And, that, and that's what the shepherd does. He, he knows the destination. And so in the same way, God comes to us and he calls us out. And he tells us the destination. Glory, everlasting glory. He tells us where we will be with him forever in the glory, heaven. Come to earth. So he tells us that, but yet we don't, we're not able to get there. He leads us through. We're not able to make it on our own. So what Christ does, he brings us out. And not only does he bring us out, he calls us by name, he knows us, he leads us. He lets us go in front of him and he leads us and guides us in the way we need to go. He knows the mountains that we need to go over. He knows the hills and the valleys we need to pass through. And he leads us in the way we need to go. But yet there's times when we, when we go astray, isn't there? There's times when we would go off one way, just like normal sheep can go astray. There's times when we can go astray. Now what a shepherd would do, he would have two dogs and any time a sheep would go astray, the shepherd would send his dogs and it would, it would nibble at the sheep and bring the sheep back into, into the fold and they would continue going on, on the path that the, the shepherd desires. And so, even when we are straying out of the fold... Or put it like this, in Psalm 23, it says, um, David says in Psalm 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So here you have goodness and mercy following us and bringing us back in. Goodness and mercy following us when we go astray out of the fold, when we wander into a valley that we shouldn't have, when we wander onto a mountain that we shouldn't be, when we get caught in the thicket or the bush, mercy and goodness comes and brings us back and follows us and will bring us to the house of the Lord forever where we will see his face. So this is a reason not to fear, simply because we are a little flock, yes, but we have a great shepherd who is leading us, who is committed to us. You remember what he says in John? He says, um, no one is greater than the Father and no one can pluck them out of my hand. No one can pluck the believers of Christ out of the Father's hand because he is greater than all. So he has us. And this ought to cast out all fear, the fact that he is leading and bringing us, guiding us, goodness and mercy, securing us all our days. But also the shepherd's protection. Also the shepherd's protection. So not only does a shepherd lead, but he protects the sheep. Because they are precious to him. 
He knows the sheep. He loves his sheep. If he's a good shepherd, he loves his sheep. And he is concerned for their life. And a good shepherd will protect them at that every cost, even to the endangerment of his life. And that's what Jesus says in John chapter 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, Christ protects us against the predators of our faith. He protects us against the predators of our faith. You know, how many times has a wolf came and sought to devour your faith and to turn you away from the faith, yet we don't even know, but Christ there comes, protects us, guards us. How many times has a lion came to devour our faith? And we don't even know, we don't even know half of the times, yet Christ guards our faith. But yet the ultimate proof of Christ's protection of his sheep is in, is, is in his laying down of his life. He really did lay down his life. In Matthew chapter 26 from verse 31, it says, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now that's quoted from Zechariah. Um, and beginning, it says, Awake, my sword, awake. Uh, I will strike the shepherd. And so Jesus really did lay down his life in the ultimate act of protecting his sheep. You see, God looks out on a world in rebellion. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none who can claim the right, the merit to salvation. We've all gone astray. We've all served and worshipped the creature. And God, you can say God's patience is there running out. And he says, look, awake, O sword, strike, strike. His righteous indignation, his judgment is going to fall. But what does Christ do? Christ steps in as the good shepherd and says, let me take the blow. He comes in the way of the little flock and he is struck in our place. He absorbs the full blow for all of our rebellion, for all of our sin, for everything that we have done that deserve God's righteous judgment upon us. He took it. And so he really did lay down his life. But also notice in the verse that it says that the Father gives the disciples of Christ a kingdom. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, what we see now when we look at the church, we see weakness. We see frailty. We don't see what we will see when Christ returns and the church is resurrected and glorified, when we see the church then, it will be a completely different thing than what we see now. We see the church struggling. We see areas that are not right. We can easily point these out. But God has given us a kingdom. We are a mighty kingdom, a kingdom of priests unto our God. That's what Christ has made that's what the Father has given, made the disciples of Christ, the kingdom. A kingdom that will know no end, a kingdom that is stable, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, as it says in Hebrews. A kingdom that will outlast this world. 
A kingdom where the king is reigning in righteousness and justice, where there'll be abundance and prosperity, where there'll be no fear in its ultimate coming, where everything run and sinful will be cast out. That's the kingdom that Christ has given us, a glorious kingdom. But this is not true of the world. What is the world doing? The world is building on sand. Instead of building their life upon the rock, it's building on sand. And, and, and therefore, things are uncertain. Things are unknown. You know, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what the future will bring. But yet we're so concerned with building our lives here, getting it all right here. But yet we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. And therefore, fear. Fear happens. Fear arises of not knowing what, not knowing not knowing. So men and women are held under this, this crippling bondage of fear. But this should not be true of us. This should not be true of us because our position is certain. As Christ says, the Father gives us a kingdom. Now in Colossians chapter 1, Paul puts it like this. For you have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved Son. We have been transferred. That's what Paul says. We have been taken out of this domain of darkness. We have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of his beloved son. Our position is certain. And because of this, we see through it all. If we are disciples of Christ, God has opened our eyes. We see, we see, the, the, the scriptures tell us, we know that this world is not it, that we are just passing through, that we are just pilgrims. That our lives are not here. Our lives are not based here. We are investing in eternity. We are looking for the life to come. And that's what Jesus is doing throughout this chapter. If you read it, he's telling them the world thinks like this. The world does this, but you ought to do different. Why? Because you belong to another. Why? Because your future is in another kingdom. Even to the point where he says in verse 33, therefore sell all your possessions. Don't regard them. See, the world tries to hoard everything up, trying to hang on to it, trying to get their life from it. Give me this, give me this. I need it. But disciples of Christ, we, we know. We know that this is not it. We know that Christ is going to return. And there is our reward. And so we are able we're able to not regard, to not base our life upon the sinking sand. And that's a question for us. Where are we storing our treasure? Where are we storing our treasure? In verse 34 of this chapter, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where are we storing our treasure? Where is our heart? Where is our heart? Another thing to notice is the motive behind this all. And if you look in verse 32, it says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Why has the father, why has God, God done what he has done? Why has he given us a kingdom? 
Why has he made us a flock? Why does he guard us? Why does he protect us? Why does he keep us? Why does he work in us even when we go astray? Why does his goodness and mercy come and rescue us? Why? Because it's his good pleasure. Because he desires, because he loves it, because he loves us, he desires us. It's his good pleasure to give these things to us. We didn't earn it. It was the Father's own free will in giving it to us. And if you look at that, Father, I mean, our relationship, the disciples of Christ, our relationship has changed. We can call him Father. We was once far away, but now we have been brought near. He was once our judge, but now he is our Father. We have been adopted into the family of God. And that is, that is a comfort. That is a comfort. And, and there is no greater comfort. I mean, think of it. Our Father, he is sovereign over the world. No trial comes upon us. No affliction, no pain. Nothing happens to us by the Father without the Father's knowledge. He knows it all. And he is in it working everything together for good. Our darkest valleys are not so dark to him. All our pain and our misery, God is using it to bring us to glory. He is sovereign over it all. And so we're no longer orphans in the world. Or the way Paul puts it when he talks about unbelievers, he says they're in the world without God. In the world without God. But we are not. We have a father. We have God. We know him. He knows us. He has called us out. And called us by name. And also in this word good pleasure, some translators um, translate it good choice. Or, or it, it, was his, it gave him pleasure to choose to give us the kingdom. And so it also means that the father's loving choice, he chose to give us the kingdom. It was his choice that done it. You know, when we... When we hear about God's love, I'm, I'm sure we don't really understand how awesome, well, we couldn't because it's infinite, but you see this because every time we go run, we fear. Fear comes back into our lives and that just shows clearly that we're not grasping the measure and the greatness of God's love for us. He predestined, you know, God's choice of us was not in time, it was out of time. He looked at us from eternity and set, chose to set his love upon us. It was nothing he saw in us, nothing that we would do. It was free, it was sovereign, it was all by his grace and all by his mercy. And that is a comfort. That is perfect love that casts out fear, that is based upon his own choice and not upon, not upon our own performance. So if God can be for us, who can be against us? It's his perfect love that casts out all fear. And in all of this, it just motivates us to serve him more, to love him more, to know him more, to make his name great, to be more surrendered, to give more of our life, our time, all that we are to him. To know what he has done for us. It demands a response. As Paul said, his love controls us. The controlling power of our lives is the love of a triune God, the love of the Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit that ought to control us and motivate us to give up our lives for him. And this is what Christ is saying to his disciples. Because of this, do not fear. Because you are his flock, because he knows you by name, because he is committed to leading, to guiding, to protecting, to bringing you to glory, do not fear. He will bring you there. He will lead you there. Commit your way to him. Trust in him and not on your own understanding. He will bring you to glory. For he has given us a kingdom also. Therefore, we ought not to fear. We belong to another kingdom. We belong to another realm. He is working in us to bring us. And his good pleasure is set upon us, which is the motive of it all. It's the motive of it all. You know, sometimes we can look to God and and all we see is cloud. We can't commune with him. But when we look under, we see his arms under us. There is no time he is not with us. Even when we can't feel it, he never leaves, he never forsakes. See, his smile is ever upon us. But notice that these words are a comfort to the disciples, as Jesus says here. In beginning in verse 22, he says, and he said this to his disciples. So these words are a comfort to those who are committed to Christ, to those who are giving their lives up for Christ, to those who are learning of his word and being conformed into his image, to those who are growing to be more like his master. These are words of comfort to them. So let them do that. Let them build us up. Let us take this verse in this world where we are and let us be encouraged by it to press on, to fight the good fight of faith, to to lay hold of the eternal life to which we have been called. And in doing so, being brought to glory. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness, Lord. We thank you that your word does not change. We thank you that you are, that you do not fade. And that you are the same today, yesterday. That you are eternal. And that your hand is upon us. Father, that we are your flock, that you are our shepherd, our good shepherd, and you lead and you guide, and you bring us to glory. Father, you protect us by your son who gave up his life for us. And so, Father, we thank you for all that you have done. Lord, and as weak and as frail we are, I pray that your word would work in the hearts of your people and that they would be encouraged and built up. In Jesus' name, amen.